if you were thinking soft landing in the US economy, Q4 GDP was everything you could possibly ask for. Solid quarterly rate, big consumer contribution, and best of all, thoroughly disinflationary. All the Goldilocks element put together in one quarterly report. So why then didn't we get a market reaction from it? There was an initial knee-jerk reaction in the bond market. U.S. Treasuries initially sold off a couple basis points at the 10-year, a few at the two-year as well. But then Treasury yields started to go down again. In fact, the two-year down much more than the 10-year, which is a theme we keep coming back to. So the question is, is that consistent with the GDP report or is the bond market looking for something else? And we do seem to have some answers for that last question. But before we get to what the bond market is seeing or continuing to see and what the bond market we should expect from it, let's go over what the GDP numbers actually said. Because again, if you're soft landing and that's your base case here, GDP hit on every single one of those elements, starting with the quarterly rate. According to the Bureau of Economic Analysis, it was 3.2% real terms. That's a continuously compounded quarter over quarter at an annual rate. That follows a 4.74% third quarter, which means the second half of 2023, contrary to many expectations beginning the year, was incredibly solid. A little bit of a dent in the second quarter, but the disinflation rebound really, really hit home in the third quarter. And then the fourth quarter kept up a bit in the fourth quarter, at least according to the GDP numbers. For the full year of 2023, the fourth quarter over fourth quarter rate was 3.1%, while the average annual change was 2.5%. And both of those numbers, just to give you some context, those are similar enough to 2019, which starts to bring us into the bond market territory here, understanding where things are going. So even though the second half of last year is terrific, last year was simply better than expectations. That doesn't necessarily mean that last year was a strong economy exerting its will on its way to a soft landing. It just means it was better than it had been expected. Real PCE or personal consumption expenditures, those rose at a 2.8%. That was down only slightly from 3.1% quarter over quarter in the third quarter. Services, you don't really see much of a change in the service sector, just continuing to chug along at a relatively low pace here. Real private non-residential fixed investment, which is capital expenditures by business. Those are, that's, this might be the weakest part of the GDP report, at least on the real, in real terms. 1.9% in the fourth quarter after 1.4%. You know, nothing great here, but also nothing nothing too bad, nothing too horrible. Exports and imports were both higher, with exports certainly much better in the second half of last year than imports were. So net exports contributed about 43 points or 0.43 points to the headline fourth quarter GDP. So where trade had been a drag in the first, heart of, first half of last year, it rebounded a bit in the second half, though those numbers are, don't exactly match what we're seeing from the Census Bureau on exports especially. Final sales to domestic purchasers, which is a measure of domestic demand for goods regardless of where they're actually produced, basically what American consumers and businesses are buying. That was 2.7% quarter over quarter annual rate in the fourth quarter, down only a little bit from 3.5% in the third quarter. And another one that doesn't match, that doesn't match other uh, statistics, 
Real inventories, according to the BEA, rose at, by 82.7 billion in the final quarter compared to 77.8 billion in the third quarter. We don't see that type of inventory build in, say, the Census Bureau figures, especially for retail inventories, which fell sharply at the end of the year. But at least according to the BEA, inventories continue to rise. Um, though because the increase in the fourth quarter was only slightly bigger than the increase in the third quarter, B, uh, GDP measures second derivatives here, it didn't contribute much to the final rate anyway. So like I said, as far as the economic parts of GDP went, solid all the way around. But the best part, the best part was definitely the consumer price numbers. For everyone who is fearing this increase in GDP, the apparent acceleration in the economy in the second half of last year might reignite inflation, that doesn't appear to be happening. Of course, it wasn't going to happen because that's not what inflation actually is. But the these price estimates from the BEA for the fourth quarter back up the assertion that we keep seeing in all the rest of the price data around the rest of the world, this is globally synchronized as we'll get to in a minute, According to the BEA's figures, price pressures continue to diminish. The overall PCE deflator, the implicit price deflator, that rose at a 1.7% annual rate in the fourth quarter compared to 2.6% in the third quarter. And that's the lowest since the second quarter of 2020. So basically a new low for this cycle. And of course, 1.7%, that's underneath the Fed's target if you care about those things. In the mainstream media, make sure you do care about those things. Services prices, those were rising at a 3.5% annual rate for the second straight quarter, really the third straight quarter around the same level. Maybe they've, they've leveled off at around 3.5%, which is not unusual for services. That's actually kind of disinflationary for services. Goods prices overall, minus 1.9% annual rate. That's the first one, first decline in goods prices going back to uh, 2020. Again, this cycle, a new cycle low, first negative there. But that also doesn't actually match the inventory numbers either. So a little bit of a discrepancy to watch, but still a negative almost 2% rate in goods, mostly related to oil and gasoline, but still disinflationary in all the other prices, which did not make up for the decline in the key energy sector. The core PCE deflator, that was 2% on the nose for the second straight quarter. So if you're Jay Powell in the Federal Reserve, exactly what you want to see. The core rate gliding gently into its 2% target with disinflation in other prices, the headline PCE deflator. So you put those two things together, get solid disinflation numbers, along with solid economic statistics for the second half of 2023 in the United States, what more could you possibly ask for? There were a couple minor issues, however. Of course, there always is in any quarter. Nothing is ever actually Goldilocks perfect. But in this case, it may be one of those things that we need to pay closer attention to. Because one of the things that has kept the global economy, and the US economy in particular, humming along at seemingly an undisturbable pace, an unstoppable tr uh, train of resilience, that has been the price illusion. While activity in some of these key categories like manufacturing, for example, has gently declined, the reason it has only, the reason it's been kept to a gentle decline is because in nominal terms up until recently, everything has been rapid. So while you have 
as a manufacturer, for example, if you have less activity, less production going out the door, you're getting paid more to do it. That's the inflation of the supply shock. You had nominal GDP, which rose at a 3.8% quarter over quarter annual rate in the second quarter. That was the bank crisis quarter. Then it sped up to 8.3% in the third quarter. That was the tremendous acceleration. But when people don't necessarily realize, a lot of that had to do with the government. Huge increase in government expenditures in the third quarter contributed a ton to that third quarter number. And then it slowed down again, nominal GDP to 4.8%. In the fourth quarter. Again, just to give you an idea, 4.8% is much like 2019. Nominal personal consumption expenditures follows basically the same pattern. Slowdown in the second quarter, acceleration in the third quarter, thanks to the government, hiring there, and then another slowdown in the fourth quarter. And that's what's really behind everything that we see, not just in the GDP statistics, but in the marketplace too. What does this slowdown in the fourth quarter, which doesn't appear to have been much of a slowdown, what does that actually mean as far as moving forward into 2024? What were these disinflationary numbers in price deflators really telling us about what comes next? According to the stock market, or at least a narrow segment of the stock market, as I talked about in a recent video, that is the Goldilocks soft landing. The economy was better than expected in 2023, and if it's slowing down, it's only slowing down into a stable, gentle, perfect place that is great for investing in stocks. The bond market, however, continues to look at that downside as an emerging downside still to come. And I know we've been waiting for it all year. And the disinflation rebound, I think, explains the distance or the, the elongation of the cycle here. But as far as bond market participants are concerned, but if, if it was Goldilocks soft landing, you would expect that to be higher for longer, especially longer term interest rates, which are a reflection of growth and inflation expectations with an emphasis on the former growth, not inflation the latter. You would expect bond yields to rise. Not, in just, not just in the short run in the knee-jerk reaction to the GDP report, but overall in more than just the short run. Rates would go back to where they were. And not only that, we see short-term rates that are going down too, which again reflects a period, reflects a, a future expectation of interest rates that are not just a couple rate cuts. We have the market that is hedging against more solid downside risk that even if it hasn't emerged yet in GDP figures, it remains this, the downside risk that is worrying more people than not. We got a little bit of confirmation for why that is from our counterparts over in Europe. The ECB met today and again, unsurprisingly, left their interest rate benchmarks where they had been over the past couple meetings, meaning they're still on an interest rate pause here. But Christine Lagarde, just last week at the WEF's Ridiculous Davos meeting, mentioned, like the Fed, after protesting for however long that they're not even thinking about rate cuts, she said they're thinking about rate cuts. Not just are they thinking about rate cuts, they might be thinking about rate cuts as early as the summertime, which means in market terms, they're actually thinking about rate cuts more immediate than that. What Bloomberg reported from Davos last week was, Lagarde said in, in response to a question about the possibility of summertime rate cuts, she said, 
I would say it's likely too, but I have to be reserved because we are also saying that we are de data dependent and that there is still a level of uncertainty in some indicators that are not anchored at the level where we'd like to see them. She's talking about consumer price pressures, some of them like wage growth. That's for the ECB and economists is a big deal. However, she can still see a path to rate cuts, again, after protesting strenuously for all this time that the ECB was not even considering rate cuts. And here she is saying, yeah, we're, th we're thinking about rate cuts in the summertime. Sounds a lot like the Federal Reserve. In today's policy statement in the press conference which followed it, Lagarde said she kind of walked it back, but you could tell she didn't actually do so. The consensus around the table of the governing council was that it was premature to discuss rate cuts. We need to be further along in this inflation process before we can be sufficiently confident that inflation will actually hit the target in a timely manner. So when it comes to consumer prices, she still feels that she needs to talk about attentiveness to consumer prices. And that's the reason why they don't want to come out in their official capacity and say, we're not at, we're actually talking about rate cuts. And the reason they are talking about rate cuts is just what I talked about with regard to what the bond market is pricing, even after GDP, because the, G the market reaction to fourth quarter GDP in the US was the same reaction it had to third quarter GDP back in October, that it's old news and that the, the future path for the US economy, indeed the global economy is, well, just what the ECB said today. In their statement, it said, the risk to economic growth remained tilted to the downside. Growth could be lower if the effects of monetary policy turn out to be stronger than expected. Sure, why not? A weaker world economy, however, or a further slowdown in global trade would also weigh on euro area growth. Globally synchronized. So while the U.S. economy put in another stellar quarter, the fourth quarter, second straight quarter at solid rates, the worry is that all of the weakness that we continue to see around the rest of the world, including in Europe, which is still in a recession, and a recession the ECB now is even worried could get worse, that that will eventually lead to the rest of everything else that isn't in recession following along, globally synchronized. And in globally synchronized, not only do we pay attention to Europe's plight, we also have that big country over there on the other side of the Pacific, which no matter what it does, continues to struggle worse and worse and worse. So even the impacts of globally synchronized global trade recession that haven't been felt on American shores just yet, that is still likely to happen. And it's more likely in other places and more visible in other places like Europe right now. So the bond market reaction to the disinflation was the same as the stock market reaction to the GDP numbers overall. Stocks say Goldilocks, soft landing, everything you could possibly want. And bonds said, did you see those consumer price figures? That disinflation is pointing maybe toward the same thing that they're talking about in Europe, which is a downside economic case, globally synchronized recession. Even the central bankers are worried about the same thing, which is why they are talking about rate cuts. It's just that the market is ahead of them in anticipating the likely outcome that they're now also admitting, starting to admit, they're considering too. So the U.S. looks great to finish up 2023, but 2024 still remains the same downside case. 
And people always ask, what would it take for me personally to change my mind? Is it GDP? Is it some other statistics? It's not actually economic as not macroeconomic, not macroeconomic accounts. It would be the market actually going through with the bear steepening case. What it appeared to be doing back last fall, but it wasn't actually doing it. If it was bear steepening outside of September, if it was bear steepening right now as we were speaking, then I would say combined with GDP, then you would say the economy is not finally heading on the right track. But instead, the marketplace continues to head toward the bull steepening case, where short-term rates are modestly lower compared to the long-term counterparts, and continues to suggest there is still that downside case out there, even if it hasn't emerged in U.S. GDP. The more bull steepening we get, the less bullish it is regardless of GDP numbers. We just don't know when. What is the stock market actually thinking about all of this? And is the stock market actually what we think it is? Well, that's the video I've got linked below. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge, huge thank you, Eurodollar University members and subscribers. And until next time, take care.